0: Rulo wants to know about coconut oil. You know, so many people claim that coconut oil is a
1: healthy oil. It's hype. Somebody's got acres and acres of coconut trees, and they are selling the coconuts, and they've been hyping the supposed benefits of coconut oil. It does have a lot of saturated fat in it. Use it in your hair. Use it on your skin. Shine your shoes with it. I wouldn't be it.
0: Well, hello there. filled with your questions as we attempt to bust some more nutrition myths and crush diet confusion and clear up a murky health picture. Turning clutter into clarity and prescribing answers for us on the program today are Drs. Neil Barnard and Jim Loomis, two of the best in the biz. This is actually part five of our Nutrition Myth series, each one of the shows devoted to answering your questions and getting you the information that you need. Among the questions that will be answered on the show today is whether or not freezing fruit can affect its nutritional values and can people who have diabetes safely enjoy coffee and tea And is it possible to improve low iron levels while eating a plant-based diet? We also have a mom who wrote in concerned about her son and whether, quote, testosterone foods are real and whether you can build muscles without eating meat. Then Lynn wrote in she wanted to know about the best foods to rebuild microbiome after taking antibiotics. And lastly, we're going to be getting to the bottom of the myth Surrounding a raw, fruit based vegan diet. Can you eat it safely or are you leaving a lot of nutrients on the table? We're going to find that out on the show today. Also, today, diabetes. As the epidemic on that front continues to rage across the country and around the world, we are going to be hearing about a new study showing just how much more Americans are paying for insulin compared to other countries. And then you're also going to learn about how you can save not only a lot of money, but maybe even your life by switching to a plant-based diet. But let's start right now by clearing up that diet confusion and opening up the doctor's mailbag with Dr. Neil Barnard and Dr. Jim Loomis. Let's go ahead and dive right into that doctor's mailbag as we welcome doctors Neil Barnard and Dr. Jim Loomis back to the show. Gentlemen, are you ready for a little bit of everything? You never know what's coming your way. You bet, Chuck. Dr. Barnard, let's start with you. This is a question that comes up quite frequently, but one nonetheless that it's important that we keep tackling. This is a question that comes to us from Emma, sent this to me on Instagram. She writes, my husband was recently diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. His numbers are in the 200s, and I'm not quite sure what that means, but I want to know if he can eat fresh fruits,
1: and if so, are there any that are safer than others? Okay, well, first of all, your husband, uh, he, he's got a health challenge, but it's one where he can make tremendous pro- progress. And he's lucky to have you looking out for him. Uh, regarding fruit, the answer is yes, he can eat fruit and really should. Um, we've talked about this a number of times, the cause of, well, type 2 diabetes begins when the cells are unable to pull sugar out of the blood. And so the sugar builds up in the blood. And so your doctor will say, you've got a high blood sugar. And normally that sugar should go into the muscle cells, into the liver cells and out of the blood. And why is it not getting into the cells? Because the cells are filled with fat. And so the fat that comes from cheese and meat and chicken and fish and fryer grease and all that stuff um, that builds up in the cells. And the technical term for it is intramyocellular lipid in the muscles hepatocellular lipid in the liver cells. Um, that That's the problem. So do we want to change the diet to get rid of that fat? So what do I do? I avoid eating animal products and I keep vegetable oils really low and that fat starts to dissipate and then the sugar can get out of the blood into the cells. So where do fruit fit in? They don't have any animal fat at all. They don't have much of any kind of fat. So the more the better. Um, your your uh, husband will worry. He'll say, well, fruit has sugar and that will will drive my sugar higher. And after you eat a piece of fruit, your your blood sugar will marginally go up. But over the long run, if you're following a plant-based diet with plenty of fruit, that insulin resistance goes down, your blood sugars will fall.
0: All right, Dr. Loomis coming to you for this one. This is a question about fresh versus frozen. Edith wants to know, does freezing fruit affect its fiber content or other nutrients?
2: No, that's a great question, especially as we're getting into winter time. And uh, so the availability of fresh fruits might not be they might not be so readily available. Um, Frozen fruits and vegetables are a great alternative. Um, There's really minimum loss in nutrients, no change in fiber. Um, So I think that that um, um, shifting to to using frozen uh, fruits and vegetables during the winter time is a great alternative, a great way to continue to get your your fruits and vegetables that you need every day.
0: All right, let's go ahead and stick with you. This is another question uh, about diabetes here. Uh, someone wants to know: Can people with type two diabetes have tea or coffee? Any effect there that you know of?
2: Uh, no, and there's you know the the both tea and coffee have a lot of very powerful antioxidants and have and so there may actually be some health benefits. Now you can drink too much you know caffeine, and you probably want to limit it to you know two or three cups of coffee a day at most. Now, um, there is some evidence that 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 uh, unfiltered coffee, like in a French press, uh, may actually raise LDL levels in some patients. And obviously, if you're a type two diabetic, it's it's even more important to keep an eye on your cholesterol. Um, And also, you want to be sure you're not putting milk and sugar in the coffee, Uh, but nothing wrong with black coffee, tea, green tea uh, in moderation. In fact, there may be some health benefits. Probably don't want to do unfiltered coffee, especially if you're having trouble with your cholesterol.
0: All right, good to know. Dr. Barnard, coming to you for this one. It's a question about iron. Someone writes that I have low iron levels, but I eat a massive amount of greens and even eat vitamin C to help with absorption. What can I do?
1: Okay. A um, couple things. Uh, you obviously do need iron. Iron is part of hemoglobin that carries oxygen from place to place. So, and so, if you are really low in iron, you could eventually become anemic. However, iron is a double-edged sword. If you have too much iron, we learned a long time ago that that increases the risk for heart disease, and it probably increases the risk of Alzheimer's disease too. So where we are now with this is that it's actually good to be in, certainly in the normal range on your various iron tests, but to be sort of at the low end of normal. So if you're at the low end of normal and you're not symptomatic and your doctor isn't saying that you're anemic, that's actually okay, and you don't want to aspire to do to have a higher iron level than that and what you're doing is right um, you're having lots of green leafy vegetables they are loaded with iron, and uh, if you have vitamin C rich uh, foods along with them, that increases the iron absorption. Um, if you are exercising a lot, that can end up causing some iron losses uh, as well and so if that's you, you might need extra iron. And in a rare case, a person even needs to supplement. But I wouldn't start there.
0: All right, Dr. Barnard, sticking with you here. Rulo wants to know about coconut oil. You know, so many people claim that coconut oil is a healthy oil. But she wants to know, it is very popular, but it is also known to have a high amount of saturated fat. So what is your recommendation when it comes to coconut oil?
1: It's hype. Um, it's Somebody's got acres and acres of coconut trees, palm trees and they are selling the coconuts and they've been hyping, uh, the supposed benefits of coconut oil. It, it's what you said is exactly right. It's, it does have a lot of saturated fat in it that will raise your cholesterol levels. Um, so I would use it in your hair, use it on your skin, um, shine your shoes with it. I wouldn't eat it.
0: All right, Dr. Loomis, coming to you. This is
1: uh, right up your alley, having been in
0: the Game Changers documentary. It's a question from Patty. She writes, my son is trying to go vegetarian, but feels that he needs to eat testosterone foods to build muscles. How do you do that? And is it even a thing?
2: Yeah, so that's a, a, a great question. So first of all, there's really no such, there's no such thing as a testosterone food. Uh, testosterone is a hormone made um, um, in, in men in in the testes. And it's an anabolic steroid that it helps us build muscle, maintain muscle mass, um, such as that. And we, we you do need it to, to, grow muscles taking, you know, artificially supplementing with testosterone can create a, a, a whole host of medical issues that are not good. Um, and so there's a lot of health, you know, the people who athletes who bodybuilders and such who inject exogenous hormones, uh, testosterone, they creates a lot of health problems. Um, Interestingly enough, and this was pointed out in the movie, um, in the Game Changers movie, uh, uh, athletes on a plant-based diet actually have higher levels of testosterone than, than, than uh, people who uh, follow more of an omnivorous diet. Um, you know, so, so really, there, there's really no need to worry about your testosterone levels if you're trying to, to gain weight or build muscle. Um, you know, eating a well-balanced, whole food, plant-based diet Um, be sure that your cat, you know, the way to ensure you're getting enough protein is to be sure your calories match the amount of activity you're doing. So most, you know, if you're in the gym a lot or you're going on a lot of runs, you do need more calories. Well, guess what? If you double your calorie intake, you double your protein intake. So, so it's really a a non-issue, frankly. Um, and, um, and, and, and there's no foods you can eat that stimulate testosterone production. Um, and again, it's, it's really nothing to worry about. It's really about just focusing on eating a healthy diet uh, and ensuring you're getting enough calories. All
0: right. I want to stick with you for this next one as well. It's a question from Eric who wants to know, do you have much familiarity with, and what are your thoughts on a raw vegan fruit-based diet?
2: So, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so there's nothing wrong with a raw vegan fruit-based diet, um, and you know, so you, again, you sometimes it's a challenge to get enough calories, especially if you're very active, uh, but, but it's certainly, um, doable, um, you know, by leaving out beans and lentils and, and such as that you are, you know, beans and lentils, legumes and pulses are some of the most high, you know, some of the best foods on the planet. And, you know, for example, if you look at the blue zone data, um, um, which are the longest live, uh, communities have the longest long exceptional longevity, um, um across the board, um, uh, legumes was the primary source of protein. Uh, so you are losing that as a source of fiber, but, but you can make up for that through fruits and vegetables. That being said, there are a few, um, you know, it's interesting because there are a few foods that when you cook them, there actually health benefits increase, uh, cruciferous vegetables, for example, broccoli, cauliflower, um, things like that. When you cook, um, when you cook them, there's a compound called indoles, which, which have been shown to prevent uh, certain cancers, colon cancer, and such as that, and and when you cook cruciferous vegetables, the indole content goes up. Um, tomatoes, um, when you cook tomatoes, uh, the vitamin C level does drop some, but the lycopene level, which is a is a, a polyphenol antioxidant, which has been associated with lower risk for prostate cancer, for example, um, goes up. Same thing with carrots. When you cook carrots, the beta carotene, which is a potent antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, goes up. Uh, so, so you know, there's nothing wrong with a whole food, with, with eating a raw diet, but um, there's nothing wrong with eating cooked foods either. And, and so in my own personal dietary patterns, I, I do both. I have carrots, fresh carrots in a salad, and I might cook some carrots in a stew or same thing with tomatoes. So, um, yes, it's healthy um, to do, but but I think you're maybe leaving some nutrition on the table by eliminating the legumes. Um, and, And again, there is some health, there is some nutritional value to cooking certain foods.
0: All right. If you have a question for either Dr. Loomis or Dr. Barnard, go ahead and drop that in the chat box now or the comment section, or you can tweet them to us using the hashtag exam room live. Also want to say hi to Kathy, who's watching right now, says that she loves the Q&A so, uh, show. So thanks, Kathy. Appreciate you watching. Uh, Dr. Barnard coming to you. This is a question from Marie. She says, I'm trying to give up meat, but I keep losing weight. I'm scared because my weight is already low and my blood pressure is too. So what do you recommend?
1: Okay, uh, super. These are great questions we're having today. Um, one thing I would do is it's sometimes it's useful to have just a check on is your weight healthy or is it in the unhealthy range? And if you think I'm I'm too thin, uh, go online and calculate your BMI. If BMI is body mass index, and it's your weight adjusted for how tall you are, and you can go online and if you just type in BMI calculator, you put in your height, put in your weight. And if your body mass index is between 18 and a half and twenty-five, we call that the healthy range. Now there's a couple of caveats with body mass index. Um, it can't tell the difference between fat and muscle. Um, it's not it's not perfect. There are some problems with it, but it but it's very reassuring. So let's say your BMI is 19 and a half, which is squarely in the healthy range, but it's on the sort of thinner than average. And if your overweight friends are saying, gee, you know, you look thinner than the rest of us, um, it can be reassuring to know that your BMI is in the healthy range. Okay. So that's it. If you go on a vegan diet and a really healthy, low fat vegan diet, and when people lose weight, uh, you're not going to keep losing weight until you just blow away. What you will lose is just uh, unwanted fat. So your skin doesn't get thinner. Your muscles don't go away. Um, It's just uh, an excess fat layer. And so if you're already thin, you're you're not likely to get thinner uh, by avoiding meat. Uh, And what will sort of determine your weight is the oil content of foods because oils, fats in general, oils and any kind of fat, that's the most concentrated form of calories that you can eat. So you'll discover that if you're really low on oil, you'll lose weight more easily. If your diet has a little extra oil in it, that's guacamole, nuts, so forth, uh, your weight will not go down. So you can adjust that if you want to.
0: All right, let's go ahead and stick with you. This is a question that comes to us from Lisa at 1208. She writes, if we use seaweed as an iodine source, how much do we need to eat weekly or daily?
1: Oh, great. Uh, well, I hope you don't actually measure. Um, the amount of iodine you need, if I'm remembering correctly, is 150 micrograms a day. Um, and so um, uh, what what you need to do is to... Um, just if you have seaweed on a regular basis, that's good. Uh, most Americans do not. People in Japan eat phenomenal amounts of seaweed and they're getting loads and loads and loads of iodine. Um, but if you're not eating it on a, on a regular basis, iodized salt will work. Don't overdo it with salt, but just even a third of a teaspoon a day will give you uh, a fair amount of iodine. Um, and when all else fails, uh, you can actually take an iodine supplement if you want. They, they sell them and you'll, you'll see them.
0: All right, uh, Dr. Loomis, coming to you, this is a question from Miro, wants to know, should those people who have gout avoid beans?
2: Yeah, so that's, you know, there's a lot of myths around certain foods, and, and this happens to be one of them. Um, uric acid, which is, so, so what gout is, gout is, is called a crystalline arthritis. Arthritis is a generic term for inflammation of the joint. What actually happens is, is you get crystals of uric acid that that literally precipitate out into the joint and if so if you take some joint fluid out of someone with gout and you look under the microscope you see this intense inflammation these you know, thousands of white blood cells and they actually are ingesting these uric acid crystals um it's it's uh, quite a painful condition um I've never had it but I've treated lots and lots of patients that have it uh, uric acid is a byproduct of purine metabolism and purine is a byproduct of protein catabolism when we break down protein and um some, some foods have more purine than others. And there's just been this kind of myth that beans have a lot of purine. So you shouldn't, you shouldn't eat them if you have gout. Um, th- 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 in fact, there's some evidence that beans and lentils may actually protect you against gout. Um, in general, a, a diet that's, that's whole food, plant-based um, has a fairly limited amount of protein. It's the right amount, but it's, it's, it's about 15% of our total calories. And, um, The problem is, in in a standard American diet, people way over consume protein. Um, And then you combine that with things like alcohol use and, you know, don't drink enough water, dehydration. Those are the things that predispose you to gout. But there's absolutely no reason to limit your bean intake um, with a history of um, if you have gout.
0: Carlos is watching us on Facebook today. He wants to know, Dr. Loomis, your thoughts on vitamin K2 on strict vegetarian diets. Should he be supplementing?
2: Yeah, so vitamin K, um, that's a great question. So vitamin K is a, a vitamin that's important important for our bone health primarily. It also helps with blood clotting. Um, you know, it's very interesting. Um, um, it, it's more, this usually comes up in the setting of ost, of, of thinning of the bones, osteoporosis, osteopenia. Um, and in general, and research would support this, when we practice nutritional reductionism, when we take vitamins and nutrients out of our food and start taking them as supplements they almost always have been shown not to have the same effect as as the foods that have a lot of vitamin k for example or they even have the opposite effect and what's very interesting there's a great website that that you can take a look at it's it's not a vegan website but but it's evidence based it's called the world's healthiest food and and it's they, they go through and they look at both foods and they break down the nutritional content but they also look at foods that are high in certain vitamins and minerals. And they happen to have an article on vitamin K. Um, and what's interesting, if you so we typically worry about calcium for bone health. If you look at the calcium article, you'll, you'll see that cow's milk is like number 10 or 15 on the list is the best source of calcium because it's not a great source of calcium. Um, you know, it's things like tofu and collard greens and such as that. Nature's a wonderful thing. So if you go and you look at, at, on the same website at the article on vitamin K, well, guess what? The foods that are high in calcium are also high in vitamin K. So so again, it's just something you really don't need to worry too much about Um, um, as long as you're eating a wide variety of healthy green leafy vegetables and and and, and such. uh, Vitamin K is really a a non-issue.
0: Dr. Barnard, this one is coming to you. Thyroid function, something that you covered in your latest book, Your Body in Balance. And Mary has a question about that at 1205. She wants to know, can soy, oats, or gluten affect thyroid function?
1: Uh, probably not. Um, researchers have looked at that, and the evidence suggesting that soy uh, or gluten is going to have a huge effect on your thyroid is really super minimal. Um, and the Adventist Health Study too, um researchers did look at different dietary patterns that seemed to make a difference. And for low thyroid, uh, the people who did the worst were the dairy-consuming vegetarians. So ovo-lacto vegetarians who were not eating meat, but they were making up for it with cheese and other dairy products, they had seemed to have the highest risk of uh, hypothyroidism. When it came to hyperthyroidism, high thyroid, The people who did the worst there were the omnivores, people having dairy plus meat. The people who did best in both cases, hypo and hyper, were people following vegan diets. And what we think is happening is that a vegan diet allows you to sidestep the diet triggers that cause your body to make antibodies that attack the thyroid. So if you're avoiding dairy, you're avoiding meat, you're avoiding those dietary antigens. All right. Diesel is
0: ready to change the world. How about this question, Dr. Barnard? Diesel wants to know, how can parents get involved to help change the menu at schools, hospital, and nursing homes? Do you know of any organizations to get involved with?
1: Oh, aren't you good? Uh, I have to say, you know, schools really get buffeted a lot, um, partly because there are rules that they have to follow. So milk is front and center um, in the school lunch line, and parents are concerned. You might have a child who's lactose intolerant or a child who just recognizes that you don't need milk and you're better off without it and and so forth. Um, It is a good idea to be in touch with your school administration. Let them know what you want to see um, because they are responsive to parents to the degree that they can be. Um, Do be in touch with us at the Physicians Committee. We do have some terrific people um, working on trying to improve the school lunches and we have registered dietitians who are not only experts, but in many cases, parents themselves. And they'd be glad to help you.
0: Dr. Loomis, interesting question here about reflux. This person wants to know, how can I reduce reflux from foods like beans and cruciferous vegetables?
2: So um, So acid reflux is a fairly common condition for those of you who don't know what, what, what we're talking about here. So that this, the esophagus or swallowing tube uh, meets the stomach uh, just below the diaphragm, the breathing muscle and it passes through a little muscle called the hiatus. And and um, normally there's a little ring of muscle at the bottom of the esophagus called the lower esophageal sphincter. And it, and it keeps food and acid from from refluxing back up into the esophagus. And when people have acid reflux, um, there are several symptoms. You can get heartburn. Um, sometimes it can cause esophageal spasm, cause chest pain. Um, so in general, um, the foods that typically trigger acid reflux are foods that are really spicy or really acidy. Um, and other things that increase stomach acid like alcohol or um, anti-inflammatory medications. Um, probably the most important thing you can do is, is, is not eat within three hours of going to bed uh, because that's just a gravity thing. You can imagine when you lay flat in bed, it's much easier for the acid to go this way than go back up this way. And sometimes when you start to develop kind of chronic reflux, it causes that lower esophageal sphincter to become um, kind of dysfunctional. And so, and so you start to have symptoms with with less common foods. Um, so um, now occasionally people have a biomechanical problem, a condition called a hiatal hernia, and what that means is that opening I talked about is a little bigger than it should be, and it and it and a little knuckle of stomach kind of pushes up through there, and it disrupts this normal mechanism, and that can predispose people to acid reflux. And in severe cases, it doesn't matter what you do with your diet, um, that can be an issue. So. Um, Um, You know, so in general, it's we talk about, you know, weight loss, uh, not eating within within three hours of going to bed, uh, being careful with these kind of highly acid foods for a bit until kind of things heal up. But if your symptoms persist, that can be a sign there are other there might be something else going on. And certainly you should follow up with your doctor.
0: All right, we've got time for about three more questions. Uh, Doctor Loomis, going to stick with you here. This is going to be a popular one, especially as we hit into those uh, cold winter months and we start to see uh, some, you know, sinus and and uh, issues pop up here. This is a question from Lynn. Wants to know while on antibiotics, which foods are best to rebuild the microbiome?
2: Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, you know, as you as as we've learned more and more about microbiome, um, it, it, you know. It, we've come to realize really the fundamentally important role it plays in our health. And then conversely, a disrupted microbiome, the role it plays in in not being healthy. Um, And, um, you know, if we could design an environment in the modern world to disrupt our gut microbiome, we've done it. I mean, human babies are born without, with a sterile gut, and then we have a vaginal delivery, we breastfeed and the rest of our lives, we got our food out of the dirt and on and on. Well, these days, you fast forward to the modern world, we C-section babies, we don't breastfeed we put so much stuff in the, on our food, you know, pesticides, herbicides, we have to scrub the dirt off. We polluted the water. So we have to put chlorine in it to kill the bacteria. Um, And then we start passing out antibiotics, you know, at a young age, like their candy and on and on and on. So, so um, there really is almost a kind of this epidemic of dysbiosis. And on top of that is the food we eat. So the things that determine our gut microbiome is primarily driven by our diet, um, frankly, and, uh, we know that the the most potent prebiotic foods is the soluble fiber that you find in things like beans and lentils and 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 such as that I mean th- that's probably the most powerful food there's a um, there's a great uh, recent book out by uh, d- I call him dr B it's called fiber fueled and it really does a deep dive into the role fiber plays in health in general but but specifically in in, in the, one of the sub titles is is you know developing a healthy gut microbiome so that's it's really a great book i I think he may have been a guest on the on the show as a matter of fact um but um but but soluble fiber in in the form of beans and lentils in particular are probably the the one if you had one food to increase that would that would be it and then decreasing you know your intake of processed foods fatty foods things like that because you the bacteria that like to eat those you don't want to feed them on an ongoing basis
0: Yeah, you're talking about Dr. Uh, Will Bolsowitz. Great guy. Love having him on the show. Uh, Dr. Barnard, I'm going to come over to you. Earlier, we had somebody write in wondering about losing too much weight. Well, this gentleman by the name of David wants to know something similar, but he says, if I'm eating a pretty strict whole food plant-based diet, but I'm having a hard time losing weight, would it help to cut down on whole grains such as brown rice?
1: Um, I wouldn't go there um, because if, if you think about it, when Japan was at their most healthy, before McDonald's invaded Tokyo, um, what were people eating? They were, they were the thinnest, healthiest people, longest-lived people on the planet, and rice was their main food. They ate lots and lots of rice, and they weren't gaining lots of weight until the fast foods came in, and that displaced the rice, and in came the cheese and meat. So it's really the fatty foods you want to be careful about. So if you're already vegan, what's got fat in it? Um, added oils? Uh, nuts, nut butters, guacamole, um, avocado in general. Those are are really the ones where the calories are really dense. Now, you do need a little bit of fat in your diet, but the traces that are naturally in vegetables and beans and fruits, um, there's not a lot, but that's more than enough fat for your body to work from. And if you're adding more, then it makes the weight loss more difficult.
0: All right, final question, Dr. Barnard. This one goes to you. It's from Veronica wants to know can being vegan help with asthma?
1: Oh, my goodness sakes. yes um if you have asthma or if you have a child who has asthma, run, do not walk to a completely plant based diet. Um, asthma in the best situation it's a, it's a nuisance in the worst situation it can kill you. Um, there are kids that are dying every single day from asthma. Now, asthma is an autoimmune condition where you are reacting to something and then you get this vice on your lungs and you can't breathe. Um, That something that you're reacting to can be environmental um, allergens. It can be pet dander, uh, but it could also be dietary uh, antigens as well. And for, for reasons we have never quite figured out, when people get away from dairy in particular, they seem to respond less to other antigens. It, it's not as if they were allergic to the dairy per se, but it seemed to make other allergies or other sensitivities worse. So don't take this on faith um, and don't cancel your doctor's appointment. Whatever, take, take whatever treatments you need, but give it a try. A completely dairy-free diet, and especially just a vegan diet with no animal products at all, and do it really strictly for a while and see if the asthma doesn't improve. Once again, you don't stop uh, medical treatments un- unless your doctor says you don't need your inhaler anymore. Uh, but many, many, many people who go on vegan diets, you know, they find their asthma improves quite dramatically, and and that's often true for other auto- autoimmune conditions as well. Doctor
0: Barnard, Doctor Loomis, gentlemen, thank you so very much for your time and your wisdom. As always, this has been fantastic. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you, Chuck. It would be fantastic if you joined us for The Exam Room Live every Monday through Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Join us on Facebook and YouTube to get your questions answered and interact with the other viewers, my exam roomies, who tune in and enjoy the healthiest half hour anywhere online today. And so the doctors were just asked about diabetes during that segment. And that makes this the perfect time to check in on how a plant-based diet can help lower your blood sugar, get that under control, while possibly even saving you thousands of dollars in insulin costs. Dr. Barnard and I recently sat down to talk about an analysis that showed just how much Americans are paying for insulin compared to people with diabetes in other countries. And at a time when millions of us are struggling to make ends meet, having to choose between paying rent and paying for life saving medication? Well, certainly it begs the question right now more than ever is there a better way? Is there a healthier way? And do we already know that way? Well, it seems that way. Another new study is serving as a stark reminder that diabetes is taking a toll on more than just your health. It can also drain your bank account. Insulin prices in the United States more than eight times higher than other high-income nations the analysis by the rand corporation finds the average cost of a unit of insulin in the u.s is almost 99 dollars that's 5.9 times higher than in japan 6.3 times higher than canada almost nine times higher than in the uk and nearly 28 times the amount that is paid in turkey researchers say even if all drug manufacturer rebates and discounts are taken into consideration prices would still average out to be about four times greater than most other countries. Wow. So let's talk about this. Uh, I want to bring Dr. Barnard onto the show here today to discuss because here in the U.S. we have about one, I believe it's one out of every 10 adults, actually has diabetes. And this study by the Rand Corporation with the prices, really just the latest reminder of how damaging this disease can be to both your physical and and your financial health. And then you look at, well, who really has diabetes? And a lot of times it's people who live in less affluent communities. And so when you see the cost of insulin there and you have limited income, you're left to wonder like, what do I do here?
1: So what do we do? Uh, You're right, Chuck. Um, What we're seeing really is the residue of a commercial decision, which was that the pharmaceutical companies used to, do you remember this back years ago? Um, you would have an infection. You take an antibiotic, take it for a couple of weeks, you stop. So the drug company makes a little bit of money, but they made a decision which was to invest in things that you would take longer term. Uh, an antidepressant, you're not going to be on it for days, you're going to be on it for months or maybe even years. Um, an antihypertensive or a statin for your cholesterol, these are things that you take for life. So that's obviously a much bigger money maker and the granddaddy of them all is diabetes. Because you start off on one medication, typically metformin, you'll add another oral medication and sooner or later you end up on insulin and your doctor never tells you that you're going to be on this for the next 30 days or 60 days. In fact, if you ask, they'll say you'll never get off it. You're going to be on it forever. Um, And it's really a a commercial issue. In fact, let me uh, bring up my screen if you don't mind. I want to show you the rather stark facts of what one person's annual salary is. If you are the CEO of Eli Lilly during a recent fiscal year, the, the one person salary was seventeen point two million dollars. Um, but if you are at Bristol Myers or Pfizer, or Johnson Johnson, or Merck, you're making more than that. Um, this is one person salary. These are not nonprofit institutions; they are making money. Now, how does this happen? As you said, roughly ten percent of people have have diabetes. Uh, it, obviously, it depends on your diet. Depends on Lifestyle factors and so forth, but one in almost one in three has either diabetes or pre-diabetes. That means you are a goldmine, guaranteeing that they're going to make tons of money on into the future. But that's really just the start. If you look at the costs of diabetes, it's medications, it's testing supplies. Uh, you do a little blood test to see what your blood glucose is. The meter, they will give you the meter for free in many cases because they charge you a dollar for each strip that goes into it. So in the morning, you check your fasting sugar, and then check after breakfast, after, before and after lunch, before and after dinner. That's six strips, six bucks, um, sometimes seven times a day. So multiply that times 30 days, you're talking about a couple hundred dollars in the strips. Your medical appointment, if you have to be hospitalized, uh, plus the loss of income, and I'm sorry to say the loss of life, the average person with diabetes loses more than a decade of life. And economists will figure out what that's worth in dollars and cents. But here's what it really means on your medical chart. If you have diabetes, it's not the high blood sugar that will kill you in most cases. It's the fact that the disease process is destroying your heart. It's affecting your kidneys. It leads to neuropathy. That's the the pain or the numbness in your feet or sometimes your hands or internal organs. It affects your eyes. And it also increases the risk of Alzheimer's disease. It about doubles it. And then the latest chapter of the story is is that diabetes makes you really a setup for a bad uh, course if you acquire COVID-19. Mortality much, much higher in people with diabetes compared to others so that's all the terrible news the, the good news is that we have a secret weapon for bringing down drug prices making those ceo salaries much less and tackling all of the expenses and the complications that i just described And here it is chuck see if see if this looks familiar to you you ever seen one of those I think I think so. Yeah, it looks familiar. That is an apple. Back in 2003, the U.S. government funded our research team here at PCR to find a better sort of a dietary intervention for type two diabetes. Um, This is we started in 2003. We uh, reported our first findings in 2006, and the long-term findings in 2010. And to just cut to the chase, um, the dietary interventions were what you'd expect: a conventional diet meant limiting calories and. Not too much carbohydrate and avoiding the bad fats. But the plant-based diet that we were testing in comparison to that was vegan, no animal products, kept oils low and low GI. So in in other words, foods that don't release sugars into the blood very quickly. That was it. And the uh, results made history because the red line is the conventional diet. Their improvement of their blood sugar control measured by hemoglobin A1C, good. It was about 0.4 absolute percentage points drop. That's good. But the vegan diet was three times better. Um, And Chuck, I have to say that in the course of this trial, we did something that doctors normally don't do. We asked everybody to to keep their medications absolutely constant and to not change it, uh, even if they felt better, don't change their medications unless they became actually hypoglycemic. Symptomatically hypoglycemic, then we dropped it. And even with that conservative, very conservative approach to medication, uh, 75% of the people had to reduce their insulin and 100% of them were able to reduce their insulin. Um, And so here's the point. You're hemorrhaging money at the pharmacy um, and you might say, well, uh, Medicare covers it or my private insurance covers it or something like that. Yes. And what that means is that you're just paying for it on April 15th is what it really means. Um, So if people are able to follow a healthy plant-based diet, their need for insulin goes way, way down, as well as all of those complications go way down. And in some cases, you'll get rid of the disease entirely. I'm curious
0: from a physician standpoint, how frustrating can it be knowing that you may have patients who can't afford the medication that they need? And then conversely, knowing that if you prescribe a healthier diet and improved lifestyle that can help, you know, really improve their their blood sugar levels is there. I mean, does that make it easier to to treat a patient and and alleviate some of those frustrations?
1: Well, I I think the, the real issue here is that up until recently, Uh, and we had done the work that that we had done, doctors really didn't expect to reduce medications. They didn't want to reduce medications because they they rightly realized that medications do control blood sugar. Um, And in fact, the diets that had been prescribed were there almost to treat the medication rather than treat you. What I mean is if you inject insulin, it's going to lower your blood sugar. So you had to eat in a certain way to keep your blood sugar in the right Balance, And that was medical treatment. Uh, we decided to see if we could actually tackle the cause of the disease, help people to get rid of it, and hopefully be able to throw their insulin pen in the trash.
0: There are so many great resources for diabetes over on our website, pcrm.org. And if you or someone you love are in need of help, I strongly encourage you to go check it out. There's even some great recipes on there that will get you going, including, check this out, a berry mousse, a berry mousse. And that one is sure to satisfy the sweet tooth while still getting you on a healthier path. And if you still want more help Beginning November 9th, Dr. Barnard will be leading a series of classes on tackling diabetes. It's a program developed from his latest book, Your Body in Balance. And the program gives you an opportunity to learn directly from Dr. Barnard, as well as our other diabetes experts like dietitian Megan Jardine and Dr. Carolyn Trapp, who was our director of diabetes education and care. And you can head over to pcrm.org slash diabetes to check that out. And we will also drop a link to register for that program in the episode notes. And with the holidays just around the corner, believe it or not, this could also make a great early present as well. But that program is in November. And as we record this, it is October, a month where we are shining light on breast cancer, a disease where you've heard Dr. Christy Funk say so many of these cases are preventable. And all this month, we have been banding together to beat breast cancer. So I encourage you also to head over to letsbeatbreastcancer.org and join with us. Pledge to take the four steps that we have designed to lower your risk of breast cancer. Pledge to follow those steps and get healthy with us. And just by doing that, you will be entered to win a phenomenal prize pack with all kinds of goodies in there. Goodies to get you going on your healthy journey. For that, I want to say a big thank you to Mary's Gone Crackers and No Evil Foods for supporting the Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign this year as well. And we will be resuming our Let's Beat Breast Cancer podcast series with Dr. Funk next week, right back here on Apple Podcasts and wherever it is that you get your favorite shows. If you haven't already subscribed to the exam room by the Physicians Committee, now is the perfect time to do that. Head over to Apple, head over to Spotify, hit that subscribe button and leave a five-star rating because the more new subscriptions we get, the more five-star ratings we receive, the more people will find this potentially life-saving and certainly life-changing information. That's all the time that we have for this episode. I want to say thank you one more time to Drs. Neil Barnard and Jim Loomis for joining us today. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, stay safe, take a stand, and keep it plant-based.